Welcome to Plato's Gravity. This is Aaron, and Jason, who nearly never says his name, is far away in a place where the rain falls mainly on the plains. Um, any, anybody get the the reference? No, of course you can't talk back to me. Uh, we're here with uh, with with Coulter Wilson of Homebrewing DIY, uh, a new podcast you guys should definitely check out. Coulter, thank you for joining us on the show today. Joining us on the show today. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Do you know Do you know where the rain falls mainly on the plains? I would say Iowa. Iowa? Mm, you know, I, I actually don't know the weather patterns in Iowa, but Jason is in fact in Spain. Uh, so we will we will not <laughs> we will not have his acquaintance today. No, 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 my fair lady for you. No, 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 no. no, I've actually never seen my fair lady. Mm. Well, if you had, you would not have guessed, or maybe you would have guessed Iowa. I don't, I don't know what you would have done. So, uh, uh, we start every show with a beer. So, uh, we that's chosen by our guest, Coulter. What are we drinking today? We are drinking since I live in Denver, Colorado. Crooked Stave, the Artisan Beer Project, Petite Sour Peach, Wild Aged in Oak with Colorado Peaches. One of the, the fun fact is that Colorado peaches are always Palisade peaches, which is about a four-hour drive from here. Palisade is a four. So do they? Does, you know, if Crooked State gets their peaches from uh, from Palisade? Yes, that's where all Colorado peaches come from. Well, I didn't know if they were outsourcing their peaches. So, but I guess it says it was. I guess it says Colorado peaches right here. You, you just talked about that. Totally, and Colorado's kind of got this thing where we love everything local it's kind of i i think that's a general thing with most breweries to do local but i i would say colorado is that on steroids so how is hop growing in colorado because i know it's it's typically it's a little further south than most hop growing regions but i don't know how the mountains mess with that they they it's not a big hop growing culture there are obviously some people who do it i think every everybody has somebody who grows hops in town but it's not like a really – there's not huge hop farms. But randomly, there is a gentleman in my homebrew club that owns a hop farm. Okay, he owns wow. Boss Farms here in lovely Colorado. Nice. And uh, he, he – we have a couple homebrew club meetings at his hop farm every year. We just actually had a, a, a meeting about it – it was a beer competition for Belgians in the middle of the summer. So we were drinking quads in July. It was amazing. That sounds that sounds amazing, and hopefully he has good air conditioning in his hop farm. <laughs> no, it was in the outside in the garage of his hop farm. All right, all right, nice and nice and heavy, warm. Was it was it hot? <laughs> What's the weather like there? I don't even, I don't know. We only had to drink th- th- uh, fifteen doubles. Oh man, about ten triples. <laughs> so are you are you a, an official beer judge, or do you just judge beer for judging beer's sake? I judge beer for judging beer's sake. To be honest. If you were to see a score sheet that I wrote, it would sound like my untapped. Great beer. Cool. Right. Three words. You, you don't want me judging your beer for real. Well, let's judge Let's judge this beer. So have you had this uh, this peach before? I have not. Uh, how, how do you feel about it? I, I think the, the peach flavor comes across real nice. Um, I don't get as much of the of the wood as I, as I would like. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna say I get the wood more in the nose. Just just a hint. Mm, that's it is a that's fair. Is a very sour beer. Also, they don't tell you how long it's aged in oak. That, that makes the difference, right? Right, right, right. This is this is similar to a to a beer that Jason and I uh, actually helped. I mean, in air quotes, we helped make. Uh, we did a, an interview with Upland Brewery, who does a lot of sour beers uh, in Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, afterwards, I, I think they were joking, and they said, "Well, you you guys want to stay after and." Uh, and you know, break down some peaches, and we were like, "Sure." And they were like, "Oh, you're really staying?" I'm like, "Yeah, we'll stay and break down some peaches." <laughs> Who else gets to say they put peaches in a beer at a brewery? I like it. Yeah. And now, now when you go in and have that beer when it gets launched, you, you'll be like, "These are the peaches I put in it." I was like, "I put in one," but they did like it was like thousands of pounds of peaches, and we did two boxes. So <laughs> yeah, it, it's at a way different scale than home brewing. Right? Yeah. No, it's it's nuts. They just have like. An entire and they get their peach yeah and they have apparently I didn't know but peaches um, there's two kinds of peaches I don't know if there's lots many kinds of peaches but there's two major factors like one factor in peaches is that sometimes sometimes they come off the uh, of the seed easy and sometimes they come off hard if Jason were here he would tell me like what that's called so hopefully the Colorado peaches come off the seed easy because sucks if you get the other ones 
the Palisade peaches I've had here in Colorado have generally come off the seed easy, but they're also super ripe. So I, I think that's more of what it is, is just uh, kind of how ripe the peach is and how soft it is and how it comes out the flesh. But to be honest, I'm not a peach expert. I will tell you, this actually tastes more like apricot than peach to me. Okay. Very similar stone fruit. I, I get that. But to me, an apricot's a little sweeter, and this is pretty sweet. It is a low alcohol beer. It's only four point five percent alcohol. Yeah, I so. feel like on a on, this is what you should be drinking in a warm day in the barn, out on the hop farm. Absolutely, absolutely. So what, what now? The, the the sour beer. This is uh, you, it's hard to age in oak and homebrew. But how does this? Would you make a beer like this? I I'm not a big sour brewer okay. personally. Uh, the kind of beers that I tend to make, obviously I make ale. I think that most home brewers make ale in general. I do love making lagers. They're, they're, it's by far my favorite style to make. I make about three or four lagers a year. Generally, my favorite lagers to make are Vienna lager. I have a okay, great nice. Ellis recipe. I I would also say that my my favorite lager is also like an Oktoberfest or a Marzen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like the German styles. I, I don't know if you if you listened to my last episode, uh, Jim, who did the Brew Barn. Yeah, he his loggers are on another level, though. Yeah, yeah I mean, he was in that episode, and he's got he's got a mash cooker, and he's doing double and triple decoctions and spending twelve hours on a brew day. That's uh, yes, that's nuts. It's it's not even that. It's also like, for example, that same day we went and had some of his Oktoberfest that he tapped for the first time that year that wow, day that's fantastic and he had actually put it in the cask in february and had been cask conditioning in his fridge and lagering for almost a year that is some intense home brewing right there I, it is and i have to say it was probably one of the best october homebrew by far one of the best homebrewed Oktoberfest i'd ever had yeah and so i just made a smoked Oktoberfest recently and it did not turn out as i had hoped i didn't get enough smoked malt in there you have to be careful with that smoked malt and i didn't i didn't quite punch it up enough I think smoked malt takes over. Yeah, well, have, I didn't have, have that to problem. Be real careful with it. Even if you're going for a smoke style, you you have to be real careful with it. Yeah, I did five percent. I think I, next time I make it, I'll probably do. I made it for my my wife who loves smoked stuff, so I probably could do like fifteen percent, and she wouldn't even care. Um, but I, which is what I'll do because I'm making it for her. But if I if I was trying to make it like two style, I think I'd probably go with seven to ten. Five wasn't wasn't quite enough. Oh, so five wasn't quite enough. Five percent, ten percent, yeah. yeah? I, yeah. But you think about it. It doesn't. I, there's like a breaking 12, point. Ten pounds of grain. That's one pound. It's not a right. ton. Right. Not at all. Yeah. And I'm I'm doing smaller batches, so I'm, I'm usually about an eight pound or seven pound grain bill for a two and a half or three gallon batch. Okay. I can't yeah. I can't drink more beer than that, so I stopped making more. I, I I just recently made my first three gallon batch in in years. I I did a. I called it my shitty IPA. Okay. I did a 15-minute boil extract, 100% extract batch. Nice. 15-minute boil, three times the hops on an IPA. Still came out as 100 IBUs. Actually didn't turn out that shitty, but that's what I still called it. Well, I mean, I, I think that's actually kind of a cool approach to brewing is, is realizing, like, we, you know, we like to do, you know, and especially, like, your, your, your guest on your last show, like, he does 90-minute boils, and he's doing triple decoctions, and he's really, like, nailing these classic styles. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you have good sanitation, you can make some pretty good beer in a pretty lazy way. Um, you can't mess around with fermentation, though. Like you can't, you can't be like, oh, one week, well, we'll just bottle it and see what happens. That's a bad idea. But you can now with uh, Kvike. What's Kvike? Kvike is the Norwegian yeast from the Norwegian farmhouse yeast that can brew clean in the eighties and nineties. Oh, so you you can you, no no temperature control even no. or, or actually does it brew how does it do if it's seventy? It does fine. The problem is is that it has to be a high gravity beer. Mm. So it doesn't it, it throws a sulfur off flavor if you're doing low gravity beers. So if you're doing like a ten forty, right, it, it actually will throw an off flavor that way. But as long as it's a, a ten sixty or above beer and you can ferment it at eighty five ninety degrees. And you will chew through that, let's say, ten seventy beer in three days. Wow, that's that's crazy. I, I have Stuff to. Is a monster. I have to get, who who puts it out? Imperial has the Loki strain. Omega has a strain. 
Wow. Boss has a strain. There's there's a few different strains out there. I know White Labs has some in their their in their White Labs vault. They they have a Kvike strain. Uh, Chop and Brew the the you know the 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 YouTube channel. Yeah, they're actually in Norway right now having having a trip there talking about Kvike. So nice. I, I know that they're really into that right now. It's it's I would say it's the the hot new yeast that's out specifically no pun intended hot new yeast yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it's uh it's kind of taking the brewing world by storm i i it's kind of like you know hazy ipas now they're doing hazy ipas made with kvike that is the new thing hmm i'm gonna have to to look into that i wonder if it's 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 brewing clean so it's giving you like something like you might get from california alias but you just you can go hot and fast I, I will say that that's what they say. It does, I think, have a distinct flavor. Mm-hmm. I, I think every yeast has its own flavor, but it is a clean flavor. It's 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 not saison like. It's not sour. Right. It doesn't have that kind of Brett flavor to it. It is a clean flavor, but I I'm still going to say that it has its own distinct flavor. I'm going to have to even though a it's a clean yeast. So let's talk about. Uh, uh, maybe some more traditional yeast that you would want temperature control with. You, you, I know you've built uh, a fair amount of of keezers and fermentation chambers, and you have some controlled fermentation. So you can talk about like what's your preferred setup if you are going to lager. Yeah, so I, I actually we'll, we'll go back to just my fermentation chamber and talk about the beast. That's that's the that's name I call na- it. That's the name it of the fermentation chamber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the, it's actually an old dorm fridge. Oh, and, all right, uh, nice. Yeah, That's why it's called so the Beast. Cla- yeah, yeah, classic old dorm fridge. I found it on Craigslist for twenty five dollars. It actually said on the ad, "Doors broken." And right. I called them up and was like, "Is the door really broken?" They were like, "Yeah." I was like, "Great, I'm ripping it off anyway." And they looked at me real weird. And then I went down, bought the dorm fridge, threw it in the back of my car, took it home, put it, built a a wood kind of panel for it to sit on with wheels okay nice right like think a wood base out of two by fours so it's a rolling beast osb oh it's yeah not real pretty yeah. right and then i set the uh, fridge on that like flat panel and then i then continued to build an insulated box around the entire entirety of this fridge with only the back and a bit of the sides exposed of the fridge out the back end of it so really you're, you're just using the the compressor to to get the cold air you've you've built like you don't care anything about the insulatory factors of the the existing box no because i actually insulated my own wood box with right. the you know styrofoam insulation I insulated it pretty good, actually. Even the doors got a pretty thick insulation on it, and I can actually hold two ten-gallon fermenters in it. So I have oh, nice. the, the yeah, I have a good amount of space. Or two, like I have two fur monsters. That's the size I use the seven-gallon fermenters, and I can have two of them going at the same time. It's got a little fan in there. I heat it with a hundred-watt light bulb in a paint can. Okay, it looks like a champ. Nice, nice. This is very, very DIY here. So. And the, the, you have, yeah, go ahead. You have so you you have a temperature controller. So you have the the you have the heat on the one side, just the the hundred watt light bulb, and then you have the, the the obviously the fridge plugs in the other side. Yep, exactly. And uh, the 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 controller I'm using currently is a Ferment Track. Uh, Ferment Track w- is a newer controller based off of Brew Pie, which sure. is a Raspberry Pi based controller. The Ferment Track is actually originally done to run off of the ESP8266, which is a microcontroller. Uh, think Arduino, Uno, right. microcontroller. You know, I just want to say, I think that has a really great name. I think that their marketing team has done a wonderful job. The ESP8266? Yeah. So sure. specifically, it's a WebMost D1 MIDI if you want the part number. Fantastic. <laughs> um, the WebMost, we're going to put that in the shows, everybody. You can you can check that out, <laughs> along with the Kvach yeast. I don't know if that's actually how you call it, but I'll look it up later. It's pronounced Kvike. Kvike. I was close. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. So uh, the SP8266 is really just the chip that sits on this controller. Right. The, the, the cool thing about it is it's actually got uh, Wi-Fi built into it. Okay, nice. And that's... Yeah, and that's what makes it different than like an Arduino Uno. Where your Arduino like Uno USB or serial is connection. USB driven. Yeah, yeah. So mine is actually an Arduino Uno, and okay. so yeah, part of the cool things that uh, uh, Thorak did, who actually made it, his name's John. He he actually back did the script to allow the Uno to also work with Fermentrack. 
what he did is actually forked brew pie, which is the original software that I used. Mm-hmm. So I, my first iteration of my fermentation controller was a brew pie setup back in 2014. And that was when I built my fermentation chamber. And then I turned around and did, you know, back then the ink bird didn't exist. Well, I think that's what most people use now. Right. I, I used an, um, STC 1000, which right. was the, first iteration of that controller right that's actually the hardware inside an inkbird yeah it is and but it also back in those days didn't even you it did the itc 1000 hadn't come out yet so the stc 1000 only did centigrade okay okay so so i built the yeah, real built the real brewers will be happy with this right yes the, the the british the british brewers especially Yes, exactly. A lot of breweries I, use centigrade, so that I just that know that three point three is thirty seven degrees. That's yeah, all I need. That's, that's all you need to know. <laughs> get, the, get that. Is that your serving temperature? That's my kegerator temperature. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's fantastic. So, um, so you have uh, this controller that's running off of a Raspberry Pi. Let's talk about some like of kind of the the details about what's driving the controller. So, let's say you have you have, you have two beers you have two beers in the in the in the hole, and how like, are you are you doing air temperature inside of your box, or are you measuring the temperature of your beer? Measuring the temperature of my beer. So I have a thermo well. Sure. It goes down through the cork that sits in the top of my lid of my Fermonster. You, you take that thermo well, and you drop the probe down that stainless steel tube, and it sits in the center of my beer. And that is actually the temperature that I try to control. The cool thing about Fermentrack or all brew pie derivative fermentation controllers is that you can set whatever you want you can actually have it control based on ambient temperature you can have it controlling beer temperature you can even set based on i want the fridge to be set at this temperature and i don't care if it's the ambient temperature sure right so it my my controller takes three different temperatures it actually takes the ambient room temperature so i have a probe that sits outside Outside the the outside the box yeah then I have a ferment a probe that sits inside the refrigerator, and then I also have a probe that sits inside the beer. And any of those can actually set my be my set point on my controller. So you also have a tilt, right? The the tilt hydrometer yes. that, that does gravity and temperature. Can you well, can you use the the pie setup to to use temperature based on on that input? Exactly. So I I can have the tilt in there, and it will track my gravity. Mm-hmm. And it will feed into the charting. So, like, sure. it gives me a chart of what my temperature swings are when my compressor turns on or off. The one thing is, is that the tilt will not allow you to use it as the set point, even though it's sitting in your beer right. and giving you a temperature reading. That's not the, the ferment track, brew pie list, brew pie remix, classic brew pie. None of those are going to allow you to use the tilt to be the set point. You still have to run a thermo well. Right. And that's, is that thermo well hardwired into the board? Is that? Yes. That yeah. thermo well is hardwired into the board. And the thermo well also is a little more accurate. Sure. So uh, the, the thermo well goes to a tenth of the degree. I believe my, I believe my tilt in ferment track does also go to a 10th of a degree, but I do see variances in it. Okay. And I think that because there's an air gap between the temp probe, even inside the case, right. It right, does right. give it a little bit of a variance. Sure. That makes, that makes good sense. So when you are l- l- drilling a thermal well, so do, do you just, do you, do you buy a bung, especially for, to, that has a thermal well in it, or do you use a drill to make a hole? Like, how, how do you keep it so airtight and get that thermo, thermo, thermometer down there? Yeah, so the thermal well is actually, you buy them at Brewer's Hardware. They're 12 okay. bucks. All right. They're not very expensive. It actually fits the same hole as you would put a airlock through. Oh, all right, sweet. So you don't have to buy a special bung or anything like that. You, you put the cork in the top, and where you would normally put your airlock, you're going to then... Just slide that thermo well down. Nice, nice. Another good setup, because you still have to have a hole for an airlock, right? Right. My, my setup is actually a Fermonster lid. You have the the cork in the top or the bung, and it has the thermo well down the center there. I drop the, the, the tube down. The, 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 the temp probe goes down the middle of that and sits in my beer. And then I took the side of my lid because it's a it's a larger lid that screws on. Right, those big red. And yeah, I, I love those. drilled a new hole, added a gasket, and that's okay. where my... Right, so that's you, where my uh, your airlock air goes. goes. But now, 
the the change I've just recently made, I've actually added a ball lock to my airlock. So I don't actually run an airlock and then the ball lock is just a gas valve. Okay. Right? And like a and then I just valve, run that so to, to a yeah, and I just run a tube of that into a tube of water to be a you know a, a, a blow off tube essentially. A blow off tube, yeah. You don't. You, I I prefer to use the airlocks because I I like to watch them bubble. It's like my favorite damn thing is when that thing starts bubbling just every time. Yeah, blow off tubes bubble too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's just it's in a big bucket though. It's not. It's not as. It's not as adorable. It's, it's definitely not, not as Instagramable. Michael's right? doing Elmer flask, so I can still watch it. Oh, that's pretty badass, actually. Use a flask. So, um, I presume if you have an Elmer flask, you're also uh, you're, you're also doing your own starters for for yeast. I, I do starters. Yes. Uh, I if I use small pitches of starter. So, for example, I get a white labs vial. Yeah, I. I'm going to use a starter. Right. If I get a Y yeast pouch, I'll smack pack it, brew up a starter. If I'm getting a Imperial pouch, which has 200 billion right. st- cells in it, no, I don't use a starter with those. I pitch them cold, and those things are beasts. They work great. Yeah, they... I've never had an issue with them. No, they. I've, I've never made bad beer, had off flavors with that stuff. It's been awesome. Yeah. Uh, just FYI, my kids are in the background, so apologize if you hear kids. Oh, we, we, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an explicit podcast, but it'll be fine. I think, I think for them, <laughs> their dad's right here. So it's, it's good stuff. Uh, it's, it's bedtime. The, the, they're, they're being a little loud. <laughs> that's, uh, we will, uh, we won't list them in, in the credits on the show. We won't, we won't do that. They will not be, totally cool. they will not be in the shows. Um, so one last, so so just as a as a fun matter, if you do choose to build yourself a a, a beast of a fermentation chamber and you have two going in there, how do you decide which uh, which beer's temperature wins the temperature battle? So generally, what I do is if I'm going to put two beers in there, they tend to be two beers that are going to temperature at the same. They're going to have a similar temperature profile, right? Sure. Uh, example would be if I make ten gallons of beer. I'm going to split it between two fermenters anyway because it's right. not going to fit into a seven-gallon fermenter. But on the other side of that, I, if I'm going to do ale, I do all ale. If I'm going to do lagers, I'm going to do all lagers. And then one beer is going to be the one that wins, and that's the one that I'm going to watch. And then I'm just going to say, hey, generally the other one is going to be fine. I'm going to assume that it's at the same temperature. So uh, in addition to the beast, uh, you have you, you mentioned that you know well 30 – what is it? 3.3 is, is 37 and a half? 37 degrees yes 30 37 in, in degrees so so what's your what's your keyser or your kegerator setup my my kegerator setup is a keyser yeah. i have a three tap keyser it holds obviously three kegs it's super simple wood collar i painted it i put the lid on i've got you know weather stripping under it so the nice. the, the collar is removable got the lid strapped to the top but I actually the temp controller on that is an ITC three thousand, an ITC one thousand, and I've been running that ITC one thousand since the beginning of my keyser. Like that, the thing about the ITC one thousand or the I the the STC one thousand, you have to wire them yourselves. Right, you have to get a plug. You have to do the high voltage wiring from the unit. It does come with a temp probe. You have to put it in a project box. So that is my setup, and that's what it looks like. Nice, nice. So you have uh, you have the homemade ink bird, exactly. Yeah, the old school homemade ink bird. It, it's it's. I've never had a problem with it. It's been super solid, right? And so therefore, uh, if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, absolutely. My my uh my non homemade ink bird uh has a temperature variance of like two degrees. So you know, I just I just deal. I actually have mine set to a temperature variance of three. Oh, mine. Well, mine is set to one, but it, it has a variance of two. Plus or minus. Oh, like, like well, you know what? You, you know why that is, right? Well, it's just the 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 fridge just keeps on go, keeps on cooking. Yeah, there's no logarithm to tell it when the how the fridge is going to overshoot. Yeah, there there actually isn't. That's called a PID. Yeah, and that PID controller. Think of it this way: you have a car, you're on cruise control, you're going right. up a hill. Your cruise control knows to let off the gas as you're going getting to the top of the hill so right. that when you start going down the other side of the hill it factors that in right that's the idea of how those brew pies work is they have that kind of control that's why you get that you don't get a variance of tenth of a tenth of a degree you start heating it up it knows when to let it off so that the heat cuz you turn off the heater you're still warm right you turn right. off the fridge you're still cold it factors in that overshoot right right 
um, yes, the, the, the STC or the ITC 1000 or the Inkbirds, they don't have that feature. Also, they do have a timer for your compressor. Right. And so what can happen is, is that if you were to set it, let's say with a one degree variance, the timer for your compressor is going to kick in and that's going to trump whatever your, your variance is set to. Right. Right. When I actually tend to have mine go too cold more than anything so i i used to set it at 34 degrees fahrenheit and then uh and you know beer's not going to freeze at 32 or 31 degrees but i i don't like it that cold no it doesn't taste as good no not 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 at all but i don't mind i actually i kind of like a colder serving temperature um if i'm not going to drink it fast so you know i like to be able to you know let it warm up and you know kind of experience it not the pressure to kill it you know exactly but if I have, yeah. I, if I if I make it cold, I want it that cold. So, yeah, it depends on the beer, right? Yeah. Uh, if I have if I have lager, I want it as cold as possible. Yeah. Absolutely. But even then, if you have a multi style of lager, uh, a Doppelbach, a, a uh, an Oktoberfest, yeah, Martin, whatever, yeah, fest beer, yeah, as they is the the as they warm up, that malt flavor starts to come out a little bit more. Yeah. You start to get that complexity and flavor there, right? But on the other side of it, if it gets too warm, it's not as good. Well, I think. Oh, oh, oh sorry. No, you're right. I'm recording, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you remember that show where uh, the guy was on the news and his kid came in and his wife like snuck in through the back and? Did I you didn't ever see that. I did not see that, but that uh, we just, we just had that happen here, right? That's right. Yes, totally. No, the it's guy, no, uh, there's no video. The guy so. was on on CNN and he was like on cnn television and his wife his kid comes in and his <laughs> wife is like crawling trying to get her out it was it was amazing that's that's <laughs> so you need when, when you're on this is not cnn so you don't need door locks but they needed door locks that's what they needed totally and yeah. i don't have a door lock on this room <laughs> ah well I, I think it's it's probably it's probably not not the end of the world at all that's uh, uh yeah so what were we talking about well so we're talking about you're talking about the loggers and and the serving temperature. And I think one one of the reasons that I like to homebrew, and and so I'm super a super big fan that loggers are coming back, and craft brewers are making loggers. I like to drink them. I'm super supportive, but I'm very frustrated because very often when I go to a craft brewery and I order their lager, it's not good. Like I feel like that I feel like there's just so much green apple in loggers all the time. When I and, and you know we have some smaller craft brewers around here who are and I, it's frustrating. So that's one of the nice reasons to homebrew is because you can control that and you can make you you can drink those styles because you know even even during the lager revolution it's hard to find those styles of, like a Dunkel or a, or a Hellas or a, a Martin when it's not October. So I think it's kind of cool to be able to drink those styles uh, and to to you know make them well. Well, I, I think that it comes down to. If you go and ask a brewer what they drink, they're in they're going to drink lagers, right? They right. understand the work it takes to actually make a good lager. Yeah. I think that and and to be honest, not that I drink Bud Light, I don't. But I respect Bud Light for what it is. Yeah, same the all the time. The fact that it tastes like nothing is almost impossible to do. And it always tastes like the same nothing, which is great. Exactly. The consistency the, the consistency of the nothing flavor is actually hard to do. Yeah, I mean my my uh my my watery beer analog of choice is Coors Light, but I mean whatever, it's all the same. Yeah, I'm in Arvada, Colorado. That's just right down the street. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> Listen, I uh there's a time and a place. I will uh I will I will rock the silver bullet. I I, I drink a huge can of Banquet every time I go to a Rockies game. Nice. I'm in Coors Field, you drink a Coors. Right. Nice. Uh, but yeah. But on the other side of that is that I also think that when you like, for example, Great, Great American Beer Festival is coming up. It's in a couple of weeks. There's going to be a ton of brewers from all over the country. And, and if you ask brewers what they drink, they tend to drink, you know, they a they don't drink 15 percent beers. Well, right, because they have to brew beer. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and the other part of and, and you're constantly around beer. You're, you're not drinking an 8 percent beer every day. Right. Right. I don't think your body can handle that. But on the other side of it is is that I, I think that when when it comes to people who actually make beer, I think homebrewers, I think I think brewers and pro brewers, I think that they really respect classic styles for what they are and that they understand what it takes to actually make 
classic styles and how much work it is right and respect that work we have some great classic breweries uh here in in denver for example prost which is a great brewery right. they do a lot of german lagers they make great beer and and we actually did a dunkel tasting and we went and bought some traditional German dunkels. We bought some locally made dunkels. And of all the locally made dunkels, Prost held up to right. the German dunkels, right? There was a couple of German dunkels that were mind-blowing. But the idea was that they, you know, they're German, right? It's kind of their and thing. Then, it's kind of their thing. Yeah. Yeah. But they held up to that, right? And they had that malt backbone. They, they made it well and they made it traditionally. But when you go to that brewery, that's what they do and they do well. You go to a brewery that's making New England IPAs and they're making, you know, they've got seven IPAs on tap and then they have the one lager. It's just not, yeah, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work because that's not the beer they're making day in and day out. Right. It's not what they're focused on. It's not what they're looking to do. That's my opinion. I don't know if it's right. But I, I think that, you know, when you say, hey, I, I know loggers are coming back. And when I go into a brewery, I feel like, you know, they're still hard to find. I, I agree. I think a good lager is very, very hard to find in a microbrewery or in a craft beer environment. But when they do them well, they do them really well. Well, that's we have a couple of breweries here that, that, that do kind of as you suggested, they do more than a couple loggers. And they... Like my my favorite brewery is 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 Daredevil, and if you're ever in Indianapolis, you should you should check their stuff out. And they they crush it. It, it like they don't only make lagers well; they make everything well. They have they have a, a Muse, which is a Belgian Golden Strong, which it's the best Belgian Golden Strong I've ever had. They they have a hell. They do lots of German style, so they do like a Doppelbach, and they have a Helles, and they do the the smoked Martin I made was kind of just trying to recreate one of their beers when it, their beers out of season. But they do a Rausch beer, and it is it's to die for. The, the smoke is there, but it's on balance. It's good stuff. What's the name of the brewery? Uh, Daredevil. Daredevil. Yeah, you should. Uh, it's it's. I'm going to Great American Beer Festival in a couple of weeks. I'll it, see if they're there. If you run into Daredevil, yeah, they, uh, they there's some good stuff, and also their liftoff IPAs is, is is also among my favorite IPAs. It's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, there are breweries out there that have great brewers yeah. and and are versatile. But, you know, on the other hand side of it, I'm in Denver, Colorado. There's a brewery on every corner almost, right? right? And so the idea is that there's a lot of range there. There's really, really great breweries here. There's also really, really bad breweries here. Right. Well, I feel like for me, like I'm not a huge sour beer guy. I, I like uh, I like to try sour beer and to kind of like experiment and keep my horizons broad. But if I go into a brewery and they have more than three sour beers on tap, that's just what I'm going to order because that's typically where their heart is. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, my wife's favorite beers are sours, so which means that I like sour beers because my wife likes sour beers. <laughs> I re- I resemble that remark, so that's. But my well, wife, your my, wife's a vegetarian. You're a vegetarian, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, we were for a while. We uh, we stopped that. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the nice thing, I mean, Kelly drinks a lot of the beer that that I like. Like she'll 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 give a shot. She still can't handle overly hoppy stuff, but she'll try just about anything. Yeah, yeah. My my wife is uh, definitely not a big IPA fan. She right. loves a good sour beer. She loves fruited sour beers. Those yeah. are that's definitely her jam. And she loves actually peach sour beers, like we're drinking right now. Would be right up her alley. Oh, hopefully you uh, hopefully you savor some. I don't know if you will or not. It looks uh, looks. I'm at the bottom of. Mine. I'm not. I'm at the bottom of I'm mine. Not. So so that's that's too bad. We are going to take a quick break. Um, we will be back when we, when we come back on the other side, uh, I want to, uh, I want to give culture a chance to talk about his, his new project, his, uh, homebrewing DIY podcast. Uh, and then of course we'll play, we'll play tap on tap and see if Colter can crack the code. Welcome back to Plato's Gravity. Uh, thanks again, Coulter, for coming on the show. So, Coulter uh, recently did a thing that uh, that I've done. He uh, started a podcast. Uh, so, can you talk about the Homebrewing DIY podcast? Yeah, the Homebrewing DIY pro- podcast is kind of my own take on homebrewing, which is basically it's a DIY project continually, right? Right. You you, you start somewhere. I mean, yes, it's DIY and that you're making your own beer, but you also build a lot of things 
to brew beer. It's almost uh, it's it's almost like you you have a problem and there's two ways to fix it. You can either go spend a bunch of money. You can definitely usually, do that. Yeah. Usually the average homebrewer, that's not why they got into homebrewing, right? They didn't get into homebrewing to spend a bunch of money. Though inevitably everybody does. That's that's but it. how many kettles have you had? I'm on kettle number four. Four. Yeah, there it is, yeah. Yeah. So so but, listeners, if you're if you're just considering getting a homebrew, just buy the just buy the good kettle right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's totally true. Just buy the good kettle. Uh, my kettle's still a keg goal. Oh, so well, that's so, so you're right. Fancy yeah, so, SS Brewtech. It's a it's a keg with a with the cut the top cut off with a heat shield. I put my own thermometer in it, my own three ball valve in it. Are you are you using weldless fittings or are you you breaking out the fire? No, nah, I, I use weldless weldless fittings. I have a couple of things. A lot of people use copper to do welded fittings and that has solder in it and right. i just don't want lead in my stuff sure it's just me personally even though i know you can get leadless solder i just don't want to do it right for me weldless is easy it's actually easier to clean if you go weldless right because you take it apart the secret yeah. to weldless is just don't tighten it too tight and it doesn't leak it right it's great yeah absolutely Heat resistant totally go that road so if you're if you're thinking hey i want to weld this on don't just get the <laughs> weldless one they're cheaper they're better they work well uh, the other thing I would say is that, uh, yeah, the, when it comes back to the podcast, though, that's the idea of the podcast. Yeah, we accrue a lot of stuff, but we also build a lot of stuff. And homebrewers build some crazy stuff. You, you, Some of it out of necessity. Let's say you live in a country where things aren't as readily available to sure. you. There's a will. There's a way you're going to figure it out. And when you look at the old school homebrewers from like the 90s or the 80s, there was no way other than will to away. Yeah, you couldn't just spend a bunch of money and get nice brewing equipment for home. No, it didn't exist, right? Yeah. It was John the time Blake. of the, the macro brewer, and and there was, yeah, homebrew shops. But there, I'll give you an example. The first homebrew shop I ever, shop I ever worked, walked into was in the mid-'90s, and the ingredients on the shelf were old. The hops were in a paper bag. Right. I, I could go through the list of of the, the things that you would never see in a homebrew shop today. And that's what it was like in the nineties. I'm sure the eighties were even worse. If you, if you talk to the real old school guys, but the idea, or if you go even older than that, my grandpa made beer, you bought yeast in a cake and they probably used bread yeast. Yeah. Like beer. bread, bread yeast to make the beer. Yeah. And it was, ugh. I mean, I, I can't imagine that's where homebrew got a bad name really is, is people, people making old extract beer with, with bread yeast. That's of course going to be bad. Yes, exactly. And so, but the idea is that it's still DIY brewing, right? And so what what I wanted to do was do a podcast focused on that innovation, focused on the DIY projects that people are out there doing. There's tons of cool ones. I'm techie. There's a lot of cool tech programs out there right sure. now. You know, Brew Pies, which we've just about the iSpindle, which is a, a clone of the tilt hydrometer that you build at home. Oh, so like a, like a homebrew. That's fun because, you know, homebrew is a word stolen by the tech industry, too. So you're like double homebrewing. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I've had as much fun building the crap for my brewery as brewing itself. That, that to me, was just as much fun. And so, to me, those that was kind of a part that people aren't really talking about in homebrewing podcasts or in homebrewing media, yet that's a thing that everybody ta- does. You might see a an occasional episode where somebody will talk about somebody some, building something cool, but you don't actually have a podcast dedicated to that. So I decided, hey, I, I, I've got the time right now. I'm, I'm in a place to be able to do that. I actually started my first podcast over 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, then I you know, obviously got into the business world and got off of it. You couldn't even find the RSS feed for it anymore. I think it broke five years ago. Oh, that's but too bad. The idea, so I was experienced at it. So I was like, hey, let's do this again. And, uh, you know, I've, I've already got a bunch of episodes in the can. Uh, so this isn't something that's going to be six weeks and disappear. Uh, it is something that is, you know, easy for me to dedicate to. And specifically, the format of my podcast is actually something I can replicate very easily when it comes to a technical way of putting it together. So it's something where I tried to make it to where it's, it's almost something where we, we talk to a guest, 
we we talk about what it is that they're doing in their brewery but then when it comes to the actual editing and that part that's really time consuming of, right. a, of a podcast i have that dialed down to a place to where the editing's easy i can get it knocked out i can actually knock out an entire episode in about an hour of editing so oh that's good i, I i'm usually about an hour and a half so you, you, yeah you got me hacked yeah yeah exactly that's uh that's good stuff. So and I think the it's it's really interesting. What what I've kind of uh enjoyed and I think this just speaks to the beer industry in general is when you do a podcast um like uh and you're kind of when we first started, we thought it was going to be really difficult to get people to talk to us. We thought it was going to be difficult to get guests for the show. And it's it's ridiculous. Like we the only, if we don't have guests for the show, it's because we didn't ask people. People are so willing, and that's both at the homebrew, for us, both the homebrew and the pro scale. Like, if you get out into the community and reach out, people are just, it's an industry full of people who just love to share information. Exactly. And I think that when it comes to the entire homebrewing communi- community, they want to talk about beer. Let's be honest. Yeah. If, if, everybody I've reached out to to talk about their projects is, are super excited. I have a gentleman I'm talking to tomorrow that reached out to me and was like, hey, I made a brewery out of a tea set. Would you like to see this? Yeah. Yeah, you Sent would. Sent me pictures of it, and I was like, this is amazing. We're totally talking about this. <laughs> you know, so uh, that that's on an episode to come in the future. But the idea is that, like, you know, this guy's in England, and he's made a home brewery out of a old tea carafe that's powered by electricity, and he's making beer out of it. That's that's badass. And he's probably making yeah. small batch. I, and I, I think the one nice thing about making small batch beer is, like, if you're worried about a yeast start or things like that, if you're making a gallon of beer, like, anything you buy – is gonna just gonna eat through that real quick. Totally. So this is a little bit bigger than that. He's making about sixteen liters of beer in it. Holy! But in a in a tea in a what? It's like a big tea. It's like an industrial. Like like you would do it's like a tea server. You would use it like. Uh, oh, so he's using like, like a, for like a a large party at like a like like, like a, a banquet like like a coffee urn with a coil in it, but it's not a coffee urn because it's England and they have tea. Exactly that. Yes, exactly yes. that. <laughs> like a big coffee urn, and he's but he's turned it into a home brewing setup, right? And yeah. and to be honest, an electric home brewing setup, right? Right. It, so you know he's not dealing with propane. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I'm really like my my Kelly and I are in between houses, and one of my my good requirements is there needs to be room left in the box so I can go to 220 when I when I get my next place. I have room in my box, and I still haven't done it, but. Uh, you know, I'm in the gar- I, I actually sit in my garage with a propane burner still to this day. Yeah, I mean the propane burner, it's fine. You know, I, I I've always brewed with propane. I enjoy it. I just got the I just got the electric system, um, the foundry, and I'm still I'm still brewing on 110. And honestly, like I got rid of my propane burner because we we pared down because we moved. But I I prefer the propane if you're not going to have the 220, even with the small batch. Like my boil is not as good. At, at, at 110 even with a three gallon batch as, as i'd like yeah it yeah even with the 220 you're gonna you know be able to bump up to a five ten gallon batch and it will give you a rolling boil or boil the shit out of my three gallons which is what i plan to do exactly exactly uh, i brew generally five gallon batches i can do up to a 10 gallon batch but i have to kind of double mash so right. i'll uh take half my grain bill mash in Take it out, squeeze the bag. Squeeze the bag. Always squeeze the fucking bag. It's it's way better. Yeah, I totally squeeze the bag. And then you take the other half of your grain bill and then add it in, mash it again, and then squeeze the bag, and then top up your water to get your 10 gallons. I don't know where you got it in a smaller pot. I don't know where you got your information, but kudos to John Palmer for doing lots of experiments and letting us know that that's basically the same as if you had a bigger mash tun. Totally, and it works great. Yeah, and the, the math works out. All your all your beersmith, jazz, but you don't use beersmith. You use a different software, yeah. Uh, yeah, I use uh, Brewfather. Brewfather, all right, yeah. yeah. I've uh, I've been beersmith from the beginning, so I've never I've never ventured into some of the uh, some of the other ones. Yeah, I, I own Beersmith three. I have Beersmith on my phone. I have Brewfather, but Brewfather has been my jam just because a it's really easy for me to share my recipes. Uh, the it's inexpensive. I think you know. It's 20 bucks, the same price as, as if I were to buy beer Smith. Right. But the idea is that uh, I also just really like the interface of it. It's sure. clean. It's sleek. It do- I, I actually think that the water chemistry part is a lot more sleek. And I, I was doing the brewing water. 
the, the Bruin water is tough, water. but it's 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 good. But I mean, Martin Brugard from it's a good old. He's a Hoosier, so he lives around here. Goes to the homebrew clubs around here. No, really, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, I actually I gave him money, so yeah. You know, if you're gonna do Bruin water, make sure you uh, get, support throw him Martin. Five bucks. He actually gives you a better spreadsheet if you do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, but you you so I did the the Bruin water for years and then have switched over to Brewfather's water calculator because it's essentially the same as Bruin water. Right. Uh, you 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 put in the the style you want to you, you put in the the water profile you want. But the cool part is is you can hit calculate and it will spit out what the salts should be. Right. And and I don't it, with Bruin water I'm in there kind of going hey if I start with point ten what, what's that look like right uh, you know so you're kind of just throwing them in yeah, trying to absolutely. figure it out. And this one does a pre-done calculation for you, and it's been really spot on. Uh, I could never figure out the water calculations in Beersmith. The u- the user interface, not that you know, I don't like Beersmith. It's a great piece of software, but the user interface for me just doesn't make as much sense. It make, and I'm an old school computer guy. The the tree on the left, I, I totally get all that. <laughs> it reminds me of like Windows 3.1. That's how the the, yeah. the tree used to be on that, but. Even then, I feel like as you've tacked things onto it, it, it just hasn't got any easier to use. Right. And so for me, it's something where if you are a brand new home brewer, you didn't know what you were doing, you're trying to find some software, I'm going to send somebody there to do their brewing software right. because, hey, you're not going to have to mess around with it. It's easy. It makes sense. Well, I, I think the one thing that Beersmith really adds is, is Beersmith has – the gives you the ability to really hone in the some of the the finer details on your system but that also makes it really complex and difficult to get started with yeah like yeah. if you don't like like you're going to have to know your 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 mash tons dead space you need to know your boil off you know and you can use the internet to set things like up like that but you know some of that stuff's you know it's going to give you fine control but it's also not intuitive i agree my i got to be honest my setup for Bruce Beersmith was always just pump in the recipe that's all I used it for was to kind of get my target numbers. Your target, yeah. And I, I actually dialed my system myself on my own kind of spreadsheets, right? Yeah. So I yeah. didn't actually use Beersmith to dial my system. Experience dialed my system. Right. I figured out, hey, if I'm making a five-gallon batch, if I throw eight gallons of water in here, I know what my boil-off rate is because this is how I get it nailed. Right. It was always around 8 to 8.5 gallons depending on what my grain bill was. Right. And so, and you need a little more, a little less, yeah, depending on what you're doing. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, is I, don't, I think that you end up getting to a place where you start to know your system really well. You start to brew by feeling, if that right. makes any sense. Yeah. Because you know how it's going to react. It's the you joy get, and the art of home brewing, and not the not the. This is what my spreadsheet told me to do. Damn it! Exactly, exactly. And, and to me, I, I love cooking. I'm an avid cook. Uh, you should see if you if you ever find my personal Instagram account, you should uh, see all the ramen noodles I make. I'm super into that right now. All right, but but the idea is that uh, brewing is cooking. In the end, it is the same as cooking. And so, sometimes my wife gets a little upset because I'm such a good beer cook. We'll say it again. <laughs> Water chemistry that people freak out about. It's the same as cooking. You're seasoning the food. Yeah, absolutely. When you just you just get a good scale. That's important. You need a good scale. It's got to go to the hundredth. Yeah. Uh, or actually, what I, what I used before I got a good scale, uh, which was more accurate than the shit scale I had before, was I just I just uh, converted the the measurements to teaspoon. I had a little eighth of a teaspoon uh, jabby, and it's it's not actually. There's converters online, and you can you can grab. Uh, and you can get usually an eighth of a teaspoon is about the smallest unit you'll need, and you can uh, you can do it that way. Yeah, that totally works. Totally yeah. works. I mean, the volume is uh, not me, as good as the is the weight, but it's still all right. Yeah, I, I have a great scale, but for me, it's about like I, I used to be in a place where it was like I would put my numbers in, and I was super into how many grams I put in. Right. But like, I'll, I'll give you a great example. I, I made a New England IPA this summer. It was called T Hayes the Juice Hunter. It was a great beer. Um, and what, what I did with this one was like, Hey, I'm not actually going to go off of some kind of like, uh, I'm not going to sit down and hammer out the numbers. I'm going to put them into my, my software. So right. I know what I put in it, keep good notes. But the idea for me was I'm not going to have the system tell me what I should do. I know that I want to bring out that juicy flavor. I'm going to add more calcium chloride. Right. That's what's going to bring I'm going to really bring down the gypsum that, that to make it so it's not as dry and not as crisp and not bring out the bitterness, right? And to be honest, 
like just understand chemistry in that way makes it so that you understand how to season your water and to get your beer ready and to get it set up to be a better beer. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that's the art of homebrewing. And yeah, we all start off with numbers and we get real geeky. And trust me, you should see the charts I have. I have lots of them. Uh, but the idea is that when it comes to the the things that I want to brew, I look at it as artsy. I, I have very simple grain bills. I have very easy calculations when it comes to things like water chemistry right i i try to keep it as simple as possible like if you were to see my ipas my ipas tend to be two row base malt a right. little bit of crystal like we're doing a west coast ipa uh a little bit of crystal uh a fuckload of hops right that's it that's that's how you make that <laughs> it's really good people have done it a lot yeah I, I i'm a big fan of uh, of the simple like uh the simple malt bills i really there's very few beers that i'm going to put more than two malts in uh and, exactly. th- and three is typically tops um so that's like my smoked martin needed three malts because i needed the smoke malt and then i i, I used i used some carafoam uh or carapils with 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 also a german two row so that that ends up a good beer yeah and and you have to look at that like those types of beers when it comes to like specifically american beers can generally have really simple malt bills right you get into trying to brew some classic styles uh, and some old world beers you're gonna have to add some things like carapils carafoam uh some of the maybe some blends of some crystal malts i think that like i just made a mild the mild i made did have a lot more malts in it right but you're also trying to build a malt backbone to beef up a three percent beer right but there's no reason to throw a bunch of malts in a west coast ipa that's trying to showcase hops no, absolutely not. Yeah. You, you're trying to actually pull a bit of the malt back to showcase those hops, yeah. right? Uh, even with the New England IPAs, the malt bills are still very simple, right? You know, you're looking at uh, you know Pilsner malt uh, or really really light two row, um, and, and you're also looking at uh, you know adding things like oats and 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 wheat to try to you know obviously people are bumping up body, that haze, yeah. but the idea is that the malt bills are complex. You're not doing 2.2 ounces of, of wheat. Right. It's, it's, you know, Hey, I, I have a, if you have an eight pound grain bill, you're probably doing six pounds of, um, of two row and then like two pounds of uh, wheat and you're good to go. Right. 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 Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's good to, to keep it simple, but we're going to, we're going to switch gears and we're not, we're going to hopefully get a little complex, uh, because you're going to ask me an off the wall question. Jason's not here. Uh, and it's normally his job, and I sort of refuse to do the job. So this will be Coulter's off-the-wall question. Do you know the rules of the off-the-wall question? I don't know the rules, so you're going to have to tell me. You can basically ask me anything you want. It just can't pertain to beer at all. Okay. What topic could you give a 20-minute presentation on without any presentation, without any preparation? Um, Catholic moral theology. Boom. Done. <laughs> I, 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 was a, I uh, was a seminarian. Um, and, uh, then I worked in the church for 10 years and I, I taught classes, uh, for people to become Catholic and I am very good. Like my just, there's like, I could, I could answer this question with like 15 different things. Cause they basically taught the same class every year. So yeah, it was whatever. But the one I liked the best was, was Catholic, was Catholic moral theology. Um, I teach it differently than most Catholic moral theologians do though. Uh, I uh I focus more on the uh the importance of our own conscience and make and making good decisions and uh it's good to know the rules but it's also good to to look at the very specific situation and realize when the rules don't fit. Exactly. I think that's a, a good way of looking at it and a good way to teach it. Yeah. So so no I could I could give that talk and I could give a 20 minute presentation, I could give a 2 minute presentation or I could give an hour presentation. I've got them all in the can, man. <laughs> that's a that's a good question. All right, yeah. so uh, now it's time for me to ask you some questions. We're going to play a little Tap Untapped. So uh, if you're new to Plato's Gravity, uh, you will uh, not know the rules. The rules are very simple. I'm going to read three reviews from Untapped, uh, and then Coulter will try to guess the brewery, the style, and the beer. Um, a thing I always try to do is I, I try to – this is a ridiculously stupid and hard game. There's so many breweries in the United States – uh, so I, I try to make it, uh, I try to make it easy, uh, but I don't like to like just give away the answer. So, so Coulter, just your one hint is, um, I'm not trying to stump you. Okay. All right. 
So um, let's uh, let's go with uh, Jeffrey E is our first review, and he is drinking uh, this beer, and he's drinking it at Star Valley Ranch Country Club. Are you familiar with the Star Valley Ranch Country Club? I am familiar with the Star Valley Ranch Country Club. I wonder if you know what they have on tap. Um, he drank it. He got actually sorry. He drank it out of a can, so they they not necessarily have it on tap. Uh, and he gave it four bottle caps, and he earned the level two X level two badge. He earned the 2X Level 2 badge. Um, he says it is sweet as a summer night in the mountains. I've never experienced a summer night in the mountains. Uh, I'm far away from mountains. So are you, are you, you appear to be checking your phone. Are you searching, are you, are you searching for the review? This is, this no, is I'm taking fair. notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, just pen paper, taking okay. some notes. I was like, I've never had someone cheat it to have untapped. That's, that's, I, I am not cheating <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, uh, sweet as a summer night in the mountains, a can, um, a friend replied, uh, Bob Lazar, you play a, <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's part of the review there. That's good. Um, so, uh, Michael S is drinking this beer, uh, and he's drinking it at J Lou restaurant and bar. And he in fact did get it on draft. Are you familiar with the J Lou restaurant and bar? I am not. Oh well, they uh, they serve they serve this beer, and Michael S says it has great coffee flavor. Great coffee flavor. I'm a, uh, okay. All right, and then Bill H is having it, uh, and he's drinking it at the 101 Beer Kitchen. The 101 okay. Beer Kitchen. It's on draft, and he, he earned actually two badges uh, for his check in. He earned the uh, Draft City Level 26 badge, okay. and he earned the Heavyweight Level 15 badge. Okay. Heavyweight. Uh, and he says, smoky coffee goodness. Smoky coffee goodness. So uh, I, I feel like there might be some coffee in this beer based, uh, based uh, on the reviews. I think there's coffee in the beer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the people have said the coffee. They've also said it's as, it's as sweet as a, as a summer mountain night or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's not on my screen anymore. Yes. So um, so so th- there's been clues laden throughout the episode. And, and yes. so on and so forth. So can we? Let's go with the style first. Do, do you do you have the style? I'm gonna go with a coffee stout. Hey, winner winner. So you have one point here. Uh, it's a coffee <laughs> stout. Uh, that might be the easiest style get for uh, for the show so far. Uh, can yeah. you Can you pick out a brewery? I'm so I'm, I'm deleting the part. What's that? Uh, coffee stout is always a beer I avoid. So, <laughs> oh man! So I, I I was trying to help you out, and I made it I made it rough. Yeah, that's too bad. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I'm gonna go with so the brewery uh, uh, left hand. It is not left hand. Where's left hand at? That's in Colorado. Colorado, yeah, it's left hand. Um, it is it is not left hand. I'm gonna give you one more guess. It is a Colorado brewery. Okay, a Colorado brewery who makes a coffee stout. See, to me, it's like if you think about who makes a good stout in in Colorado in, that people know outside of Colorado, that's usually where I go. Uh, when I seriously um, think, I, I, I didn't actually choose it based on totally. its notoriety. I did not know about this beer until today. Okay. Uh, let's go with Boulder. It is not Boulder. So I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the brewery and see if you can come up. See if you see if you have the beer name. Okay. Are you ready? Um, it is Epic. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Epic Brewery, and you know I am from Utah, so that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I've never actually had their coffee stout. It has cocoa nibs in it, by the way. It does. Yeah. So, what is it called? I have no idea. It is called Son of a Baptist or S O B. Oh, yes, Son of a Baptist. Son of a Baptist uh, coffee stout with uh, cacao nibs. I think is how you say that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you, you nailed the yeah. style, though. One, one, one point on tap on tap. It's a stupid game, but it's fun anyway. Like, just so you know, at least when I've looked at your past history, most people only get one point. One point, yeah, and it's usually the style. So we, we, we at first didn't give any points unless you got the the name of the beer, and then that was so dumb that we we st- <laughs> we, we had to give some positive. We were like, so okay, the beer st- usually the beer style is something you can you can get. Yeah, usually, and and to be honest, it's the badges that give it away. The badges sometimes give it away. We've sometimes gotten people who have guessed the brewery, but not the style. Uh, for future Plato's Gravity guests, I tend to try to pick a brewery that we've talked about. 
So you and I, we tried to find a beer from Epic, but they weren't distributing in Indiana. It's uh, totally true. Yeah. So so I try to I, I try to, and some people you know like really like oh yeah. And, um, so yeah, I, I try to try to I try to find something that, that works for us. So, uh, what you, you talked about your uh, your podcast? Your last episode uh, was with a, a guy who has a kick ass brew barn and a, and a mash cooker and does double decoction mash. What's coming up on What's coming up on the show? Yeah. So uh, this week we are talking about the Ice Spindle, which is the 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 homebrew tilt tilt clone. Yeah. Yep, which is a tilt clone. Uh, I have a his name's uh, Dave Osachi. Dave his name Dave Osachi. Yeah. Yep. He was from Canada and. Uh, but he, it was actually really hard to find somebody who had built one. There's right. a, there's, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of chatter about them, but it's actually difficult to find one in the wild. There's, there's a few guys out there who've made them. Uh, I actually found the guy that had started the entire thread in the U.S. Because the Eichbindel is kind of a cool project in the fact that it actually started in Germany. And when I first found Eichbindel was back in 2015, same as uh, Dave here, and it was a full website in German. Oh, it was a forum in German, a homebrewing forum in, forum in Germany where somebody had built one, and it was like this 3D printed sled with a microcontroller in this like tube, and it was somebody making like a tilt clone. Sprechen Sie ein bisschen Deutsch? Do nein? No, I do not speak any German. No, so. no. Yeah, so luckily for Dave, he went and translated it and actually had built a bunch of them. So uh, that that's my next episode. We're doing Brew Pie Remix. I have uh, actually the writer of uh, Ferment Track. He's going to be on, on the nice, show. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, so I, I've got a bunch of real tech-heavy stuff coming up. I think we just talked about uh, – I'm talking to a gentleman tomorrow about his uh, kind of DIY brewery with, like, coffee urns. Sweet. And, uh, and tea urns, so – uh, you know, it, it's going to, I want it to range. I want it to be from like, Hey, this is a DIY project I did with wood and built. Right. Right. Maybe talk about keys or something like that. Uh, but then I also want to get into these, these tech projects out there because I think that's the most exciting part of homebrewing for me right now. When it comes to the DIY stuff, there's a lot going on in the computer side of, of right. homebrewing. Specifically, the Raspberry Pi has changed a lot of stuff when it comes to, you know, kind of building these things. Also, the Raspberry Pi is really great if you want to just make a digital tap list for, right. your, for your brewery, right? And so it, it has so many uses that we'll probably have a few, if not many, shows based 100% on just Raspberry Pi projects. Right, because if I, if I, if I go to the Coulter Wilson Brewery, I have, a, I have a video screen that tells me what I could drink, yeah? Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. I, have a, I have a Raspberry Pints running uh i do not actually have flow meters i've never really wanted to throw electronics in my kegerator yet yeah i mean so. that's i i feel like that's maybe maybe next level the 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 flow meters uh is are, are, are people doing that surprisingly at doesn't look that hard <laughs> yeah i mean like just pick it up you know like ah there's it's almost gone <laughs> i actually saw a diy project the other day i should totally find this guy that had built one that was a, a floating like keg. So so you have the dip tube in a keg. Yeah, yeah. So a guy had built a a, a floating a floating dip tube essentially. Yeah. So using silicon tu- silicone tubing, and then he has like a metal float that sits in his keg, and this was all done DIY, so that your beer is always drawing off the top. Oh wow! And then it, you always have clear beer because obviously all the right. sediment drops because all the sediment at the bottom. Right? Yeah, I just so, I just give the first couple pours to people I don't like. I mean, I don't know what the problem here is. I I just take the first two and dump them out. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are hazy, hazy, hazy. Yeah, I mean, or I just drink. Honestly, what's what's really true is I take the first two and I drink them myself, and I know what it is, and I'm not mad about it. I, I taste them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 beer, beer. It's good stuff. I only make two and a half gallons at a time. How carbonated it is. Yeah, that's well. Yeah, that's that that's exactly right. So, uh, Coulter, I want to thank you for, for coming on the show. I want to encourage our listeners to check out uh, – well, I'll have links. Your, your home brew podcast is a lot easier to find than Plato's Gravity because you have home brewing in the name. Uh, so you can just search for home brewing DIY and all the places that you get your podcast. Uh, but I'll still have links to it in the shows. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today and every time you listen to us. Uh, if you want have any feedback for the show uh, – 
Especially if you listen to our last episode about triangle tests, we're really trying to figure out some fun and interesting triangle tests that, that, that we can we can we can do maybe a, a couple of videos on or do on on future shows. So if you have any triangle test advice for us, you can hit us up at podcast at platosgravity.com. You can also find us on all of the socials at Plato's Gravity, but we really don't check the Facebook, so don't don't really. We have a page there, but we, we don't use it, so don't don't do that. Uh, again, thanks again to Coulter. Uh, you can find him at Home Brewing DIY on all the socials. Those links will be in the shows. Uh, we will see you next time. In the meantime, uh, do a DIY brewing project, brew some beer, and uh, have some fun. Bye.